Welcome to the Sports Report Podcast with Ben, Ricky, and Jalen. We cover trending and popular topics surrounding the world of professional and on-campus sports. With each of us having a unique sports background, we give different perspectives and insight on the current climate of sports news. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Sports Report Pod. Class is in session. I'm your moderator, Ben, alongside Jalen and Ricky. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast with Lakers reporter Mike Trudell. It's a pleasure to have you here today, Mike. How are you doing? What's going on, guys? How are you? Doing great. Uh, Ricky has our first question. So, Ricky, what's your question? Hi, Mike. So, um, I was going to ask, why did you get into sports reporting? Was there anything that happened early in your life that made you want to become involved in reporting? Yeah, for sure. So, long before you guys existed, uh, I was watching, and this is the, the 80s, and I was growing up in Minnesota where there wasn't an NBA team, but we did get WGN, which is a, a network that the Chicago Bulls were on, and you could watch it in much of the country, uh, certainly the whole Midwest. And so I, I just started watching Michael Jordan and was just enthralled uh, from the beginning. And part, you know, part of it was the, the incredible athleticism in the game. Part of it was the shoes, uh, just the swagger level. All of that was, was about as cool as you could get for a kid in suburban Minnesota. And then, as, so that kind of was the early hook. And as I, I started to watch more and more basketball, the NBC network at the time had the finals. And they had Bob Costas, who would do these incredible introductory packages. They were basically like these little mini movies leading into games. And then uh, just the, like Marv Albert was on the play-by-play. And uh, that kind of hooked me as well. And, and I was thinking, so wait, are these guys getting paid to go to basketball games? And um, to report on these guys and, and commentate on these guys, and so that was it was pretty early for me that that uh, that that ish got scratched in that way, and then I kind of tried to pursue it from that point on, really. So it started when I was a kid. Definitely, that's pretty cool. Um, as you uh, got older and started becoming more involved in reporting, was there any struggles uh, throughout your journey of being a reporter? That's a good question. I think that I was pretty fortunate in a lot of ways in that I, I had a pretty clear idea um, of what I wanted to do and I was highly motivated to do it and I had a lot of support you know, from my parents which which was a lot of that consisted of you know you have to do well in school um, if you're going to give yourself the most options possible and so by the time I got into high school I was already pretty serious you know about making sure I did well in, in, in class and that, you know I just gave myself as many options as I could and I also played uh, several sports, including soccer. And so that kind of helped me on my path uh, eventually to get to Northwestern. So um, I, I did, in that kind of sense, I didn't have the early struggles like getting to it. And I think that was because I was just um, fortunate to really have a focus um, on what I was getting, uh, what I wanted to get towards and what I wanted to get to. And I think that that's a hard thing to do. And, and I, you know, again, I, I got pretty fortunate and lucky and had that support from home. So you talked about how you went to Northwestern for college. How would you say Northwestern prepared you and helped you grow in sports journalism? Well, Northwestern was great. I definitely went there for a reason, and I, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I do think it's uh, it's the top journalism program out there. And, you know, the only the challenges that I had when I was there was that because I was playing soccer, um, I so my first two seasons I played in the varsity soccer team, and then I hurt my back. Uh, and be, in those first two seasons, though, I didn't have a lot of time because of practice and all of that to actually do as much journalism at games, say, for like the football team or the basketball team or anything else, uh, because I was always at my own thing. 
And so that that got me a little bit behind the eight ball relative to some of the other students that came in there and that, that were just sort of full time wanting to do the broadcasting or wanting to write for the newspaper and things of that uh, sort. So once I got hurt, though, then my last two years, I had a lot more time to devote to the broadcasting elements. And you know, I just tried to catch up that way and then hopefully bring a little bit more of a perspective for, from somebody that had played, um, albeit, you know, not one of the revenue sports that you know most people pay attention to, which, of course, are football and basketball. So that was um, that was a challenge. But I, I tried to just embrace it like any of us. Um, I'm sure you guys played some level of sports growing up. And I always just like to treat it as a competition. And I was going to try to be better than anybody um, at really anything, including beer pong um, at the fraternity. <laughs> so it, was just a, it was just a matter of, of trying to channel all of that energy that I had towards uh, what I wanted to do. And, and then that's, now that's the one half of it. The other half is that the classes were great, the professors were great. And I think that Northwestern, one of the big focuses uh, is, or at least for me, was it's not just about the journalism like to be a good journalist you have to be really well balanced as a student and as a thinker and and so i tried to take as many classes as i could in history and uh, sociology and psychology and uh, english and just all these different subjects to try and be more balanced as a person and then i think that can come out in your reporting uh, regardless of if it's sports or uh, if it's war zones whatever it might be um, it, it's always good to have that kind of perspective hey mike jalen here i think that's awesome uh um, transitions right into my next question, which is, uh, what advice would you give uh, students like us in college pursuing a career in sports journalism and broadcasting? Yeah, you know, I'd be I'd be actually curious to even hear from you guys as to what it's like these days, because I I am old now. Um, I just turned 42, so I've been out of the game in terms of college for a long time. I have my brother is a professor at University of Maryland, actually in English, but that's sort of like a different area. And then I have a couple of other friends that work in universities and. In sports specifically, I just think that, like, it, when I was in college, you couldn't just start a podcast. You know, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't just tweet um, or or be like, hey, I'm going to follow whatever the the football team at this university or the the local professional sports team, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow it so closely that people are going to notice, right? Because my coverage is so good. It was a little bit more of you had to kind of, you had to be self-selected by the already the establishment. Now, I think that so that's that's good in the sense that you can get reps. The hard part of that, though, is that so can everybody else. Yeah. And I felt like my edge at the time was that I was just a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more eager. And I was sending stuff out, you know, to TV stations and to um, just a various media, comp media companies and NFL teams and NBA teams. And now it seems like if you try to do that, you're one of a thousand resumes on the desk. And, and so that to me is a the the actual art of being good at journalism or broadcasting or sports reporting or all that that stuff hasn't changed right that's about your overall education it's about how much time you put into it it's about how <clears throat> how good you are at grammar about how how well you can write for broadcast like all of these things about reps about actually knowing the sport so these are all things that just come with hard work but how you actually get that out into the world is very different um, so let's let me hear a thought from each of you guys about how, how you've been trying to do that. I think you hit the, the nail on the head there with uh, the fact that there could be a thousand res resumes on any given person's table. Um, yeah, I think that it's exactly what you said with, with quantity and quality and the balance. I think with social media and technology and accessibility, everybody is trying to start a podcast just like us. And I think the way that listeners sift through that is definitely just like you said, over time sticking through it, but also quality. If your product is better than 
another person's or another podcast's and people want to come back and keep listening to it, I think that's ultimately just a prerequisite to, um, you know, solidifying yourself and, and, and yeah. making yourself different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to add on to that, you definitely have to be unique. Just as you said, it's going to be a thousand other people that are doing the same thing, working hard, uh, the same amount as you. So being able to find your niche and being able to be unique uh, throughout your writing or journalism or whatever you're trying to pursue is probably the best way to, you know, get other people's attention. Yeah. And to add on that, too, um, the way I've tried to separate myself, I started uh, my sports writing job when I was 16 and now I have three. And then I'm also uh, starting this podcast, too. Um, and then I joined a business of sports club here on campus. And last week we went and participated in the inaugura inaugural NBA mock trade deadline competition. And that was done in front of NBA executives like the Celtics assistant GM, um, the Thunder, one of their front office guys was there. And then they had like Bleacher Reports, Eric Pincus was there. So we got an opportunity to network with the judges after the competition. So I think just finding like extra stuff to build your resume can separate you from other candidates, but it's definitely very competitive right now. Yeah, I, th I think all that, that that's all good stuff. I mean, w the one thing that stands out to me, and, and you guys asked me that first question about sort of, you know, how did, how did you first get into it and how do you kind of, um, what, what motivated you? And, and if you if you can identify the thing that you actually really love to do and the thing that you're passionate about, then it's not a problem to do it five days a week, which is actually going to be, let's say it's a podcast, which is going to say maybe, maybe that alone is what separates it from everybody that starts one, but it's kind of like, Wait, I got to record on Tuesday. Also, does that mean I have to miss bar night on Monday? So, there, if if you're if you really want to do it, and for me, there are a couple of different topics. Like, obviously, I love the NBA. I'm still in it. I'm a huge soccer guy. Um, so, I could do if I lost my job tomorrow, and I, and somebody was like, "Here, could you do an English Premier League podcast?" I'd be like, "Yes," uh, and I would do it every day, right, until it got good, because that's something that I that I love and I'm passionate about. So, it's it's. That, I think, can be tough to identify, though, and to pick a thing and to pick a lane and then to get somebody else who, who sees it the same way. You know, you three may have, if, if I had to ask you what your favorite league is, it, it might be three different answers, uh, maybe not. But those are the kind of things, if you're going to do it yourself, are you going to do it with a partner? Are you the one that, ha who's the one that edits it? Who's the one that adds uh, the, the music? Like, there's a lot of different things, even within just one podcast, that can be disparate. But that's where identifying what your own passion is and kind of your how you're going to pursue it, that makes it easier. Because I'm never I never get out of the Lakers bus and I'm like, oh man, like the game in game in, in Houston today, what a drag. Like I'm like, all right, yeah, let's let's see. Like I, I'm ready to go. So that's that's I think a big important part of it if you can identify it. Yeah. So transitioning into the Lakers a little bit. So like, how do you prepare interview questions for players or coaches? Like, are you coming up with them? throughout the game or are they sometimes like on the spot right after the game yeah it's, it's a mixture of, of many things I think that the way that I view my job for the Lakers specifically is that I try to be as close to I can as an expert on the entire NBA so that when I get to the arena and I know like for example yesterday I knew I was going to be talking to Rui Hachimura so the first question is going to be something about his health, right? He missed the last four games because of concussion protocol. I don't, I don't script it out. I don't think about exactly what I'm going to say. It just depends. Then after I ask that, 
I listen to what he says. And, and I think this is kind of the key thing when you're interviewing somebody. You can't just come in with a list of 10 questions and just ask them in order as if you were an AI robot. Um, and you guys actually understand AI probably. I'm still you know, trying to get cut up on it. You, you really have to listen to what the other person says. It's like a date, uh, really. Like if you go on a date with somebody, you can't just come in and say, oh, I'm going to talk about X, Y, and Z. Uh, you got to listen to what the other person is saying if, right. if it's going to go well. Unless you're just so handsome that it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> for me, I was always fine. Um, so as you're, as you're getting into the interview, then, so I'm like, the second question, I, to me, it's going to be something about what, what has he seen in these four games that he's out that he thinks he can help, how he can help the team. And in the case where I'm sure that not a ton of people got to see it, but his answer ended up being exactly what happened in the game where he was like, well, there are spots where I think I can be aggressive and roll to the rim. Uh, and he got like three dunks in the first half because it, because the lane opened and people were paying more attention to LeBron. So like, I knew that was going to be the second question. And then I wanted to get something from him on Houston in the scouting report. But in order to do that, I have to know the Rockets roster. And how do you do that? Well, I think some people, it's easier for me as somebody that covers the league every day and covers the team every day. If you're just floating in as a national reporter and you have a team once and you haven't seen them in a while, I think then you might have to be a little bit more calculated in how you're going to script a question. But I've watched Houston play, you know, twice in the previous week and knew what everybody was doing from a production standpoint. And I had, I had done like a live chat thing the night before with a buddy of mine, Aaron Larsoul, and then somebody who, who covers the Rockets. So, like, I, there are, I could have asked him 15 questions about the Rockets. So I, I guess the way that I'm getting at it is that I am, I'm generally prepared to talk about any NBA team and any player on that team so that when the situation arises, I can just go to it, you know, without having to script it out. And that doesn't necessarily come overnight. That's, that's kind of years of being embedded in the league. But it helps me do my job to the point where I don't have to worry about being prepped so much, I just stay prepped. And I think it, there's an analogy there to how NBA players are trying to, like LeBron will say, right? I, I, I don't, you know, get ready, I stay ready. Yeah, so I think you, I just compare myself to LeBron. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah, so you've been covering the Lakers since 2008. What's the biggest change you've observed um, with basketball and, and just the culture among among basketball in the past 15 years? Because we look back and 15 years in the in the history of this sport is, is not really that long, and I feel like things are changing so fast. Um, so what's the biggest change you've observed? You know, on the one hand, it seems like it's not that long. And then on the other hand, we just celebrated the 75th anniversary. And, you know, 75 minus 15 is like, that is kind of a long time all of a sudden. I'm like, damn, that, that, that is a long time. But I would say on the, to start on the positive side of things, I think the talent is better than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. There are there is not a single team in the league where there aren't at least four or five good, talented, interesting players. And, you know, for example, I can, I can give you a whole thing on the Detroit Pistons or the Charlotte Hornets right now, you know, and, or the Utah Jazz who are probably going to be the worst team in the West this year. And they've got a lot of good players. Like they've got some exciting, talented players. So it's, that part is great. And I think when I entered the league, there were, there was a ton of talent, but there were a couple of teams that, you know, weren't as interesting. And, and the biggest difference there is just this flush of international talent that has gotten to the point where every year the percentage of players gets a little bit higher for international versus American. And it does two things. One, it kind of, I think it continues to inspire the rest of the world. And then two, it makes the American players have to, like it's that much harder to make the cut. There are so many good players. If you just look at the rosters from last year, and then you think about, 
the NBA drafts 60 players. And so that means 60 players are out from the year before. And we don't talk much about a lot of those guys. Uh, and some of them go to Europe. Some of them go to G League. Some of them try to get re-signed. But, so there are players everywhere. And it, I think it's different from other leagues in the sense of take soccer. The English Premier League is the best league in the world. But there are many other good leagues, and not every great English player stays in England. And so in here, you get all the American players stay here, and you also get the best of the best from the other countries. So in, the, in that way, I think the NBA is really – unique aside from the nhl where, where the nhl is a little closer to that it's just more of like a canadian to american ratio so um that part is great and, and it's one of the reasons i still love the league mm-hmm. i think on the other side and this has been something that hasn't been as fun to monitor the difference guys just don't play as much um as they used to and the injuries don't go down um when guys don't play as much and i'll save you the whole rant on that and, and i'll you know probably sound old school but it's just I think there are different reasons for it, but that's definitely the negative where, where you're, you're not sure on a given night who's going to be playing. Um, and I think that's, that's not great relative to – it wasn't perfect before, but it was definitely better. Yeah, that's definitely true. The NBA definitely have changed throughout the years. Um, also, what I think I've been seeing uh, – also, we talked a little bit earlier as far as the aspect of reporting and how, like, you came up as a, uh, as a reporter – compared to maybe somebody that's now coming up as a reporter, definitely changed. How do you think, um, or what do you think the biggest change has been over the years, especially with social media becoming more prominent in the NBA world or just in sports in general? Well, maybe you guys can explain this to me, but why why do we have to go away from actual proper grammar um, on social media? Like, are, are you not allowed to capitalize a letter to start a sentence? What? Seriously, why can't we use periods when we when the sentence is over? I I've even gotten to the point where I will accept an emoji as a uh, as an exclamation to the end of a sentence. Like I get it, it can it sort of serves as its own punctuation mark. But um, please defend yourselves, guys. Uh, why why can't we use proper grammar on social? I I to take a little bit to tackle that a little bit is I think it's just the the standard has changed because of how much we're consuming. I think on social media, you just scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll, and it's easy to get lost in how much you're consuming. And if you are really looking at everything, looking at so much stuff, the amount of time that you're looking at each thing for is less. So I feel like for a consumer at least, or an audience member, you're not focused so much on the quality of the tweet or the quality of the article because of just your natural disposition to want to see as much stuff as possible, um, which, like you kind of hinted at, I feel like is it's got its good for how much you want to to consume, but it's got its bad, obviously, you know, with with everything we just talked about. Um, I think it just comes down to like to quantity versus quality, and people are just consuming so much more. Definitely, I so, think it's, so. It's like, oh, I'm gonna rip this text off, but it takes an extra half second to capitalize the start of the the first letter so <laughs> let's just go ahead and, that, and i get it i am a i text a lot but i have you you guys probably don't even know have you ever heard of um instant aol instant messenger yeah. yes okay did you actually have accounts no no back in the day okay but you've, you've heard of it so it was like you know it was basically before you could text somebody you could go on you could dial like dial up internet and you could have you know eight conversations going on at once but look, I still capitalized to start my, and, and I, w- I was 
I was not um, – I would say most people did not. So maybe this is just the, the like, going to Medill um, and my parents correcting my papers when I got home and stuff. No, maybe that maybe this is a me issue, but it has helped me with my job. I think uh, in in this specific job, just with the like attention to detail um, and making sure that you're really do, being thorough in a report. It doesn't mean that you can't also be super prolific uh, and active, but it just it's like one of those things. And then it, it I'm already sounding old, so please uh, finish your finish your thought. No, I I, I agree with that. I I think especially when it transitions from tweets into the classroom, I think is when it's a bigger problem. Um, and I feel like what we're kind of getting at is is being able to differentiate the two. But like I I feel like as all three of us have experienced um, in studio, it transitions over to your work and your schoolwork, and I think that is where it's has to change a little bit. Yeah, I think definitely as a sports writer too, I'm probably like more old fashioned where I'm yeah. like. Like you probably see it when I text you guys. Yeah. Like I'm capitalizing stuff. I'm putting periods. Like I think it's just a good practice. Yeah. I think I just That's do that. Man. There because, we go. <laughs> yeah. I think I just do that because of my job. So it's just like one seamless thing for me. I'm not like switching between talking and text differently than when I'm writing an article. Right. So you guys are saying that it doesn't necessarily though impress um, girls or whoever you're trying to impress <laughs> to have great grammar on uh, on TikTok or. Uh, I actually, it's probably not a lot of writing on TikTok. I, let's, <laughs> let's just get let's get TikTok out of here. But text, even yeah. text messaging, I guess that. All right, well, I guess that's not impressing people anymore. It's too bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I mean, it definitely is. So uh, transitioning, you've obviously been able to interview Kobe Bryant, LeBron, a lot of prominent players. What would you say your most memorable interview has been? Yeah, I, so it it has to be. Kobe before his last game and you know at the time we didn't know that he was going to score 60 points in his last game when I was interviewing him he walked into the arena with uh, his wife and at the time with his two daughters and you know I, I was just I had interviewed him many times right I had this was the eighth year that I had covered Kobe and over the course of those years you know I had I had gotten to a point of like pretty good respect uh, with him and like he knew that you know I, I was doing my homework and I would ask him at least hopefully good basketball questions and I wasn't gonna ask stupid questions and when there was downtime you know I, I had my twins when let's see they would have been two or like almost three uh, when he had his final game and so he of course with two is like I, I would ask him questions about being a dad and um, and the other thing we would talk about was hip-hop uh, he we liked a lot of the same rappers um, and being, you know, close to the same age. And so uh, it was, you know, Tupac and Biggie. Like, rap used to be good, guys, back in the day. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, now there's a couple guys that I like. But and this is this is truly a generational argument, right, that every single generation thinks their music is the best. Um, I just happen to know that our hip hop is a lot better than yours. Alas. Um, so we'd be talking about that. And Kobe walks in and it was a it was a good probably four minute uh, I want to say something like that like four to five minute interview and he was just very reflective he was I was kind of like well what are you what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow what are you going to do like what, what do you mean I'm going to go work out I was like huh on the first day that you don't play <laughs> so it was just it was just kind of cool to put that bow on it and then to have that the night uh, to, to have that night progress as it did and you know I figured he was going to definitely score 30 points because I know he's going to be taking a lot of shots but then he gets to 40 and we're all looking around and there's no way he's going to go for 50 and then he gets to 50 and and then he hits the game winner it just uh, I, I don't know that there will ever be a 
basketball game, even like finals game that has that sort of feel where the whole arena is kind of able to celebrate and thank a player and what is he doing to thank them back for the support all, over all those years. He's, he's delivering that memory um, like only he could. So that, that whole night specifically kind of kicking it off with the interview is, is it's going to be tough to unseat that one for me. Yeah, well, I think that's a good place to end. We really appreciate you joining us, Mike. This was an honor to be able to interview you. Yeah, thank you for com- thank you for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving us your time to to ask some questions, and it was definitely very informative. All right, guys, well, my pleasure. Uh, stay in touch and let me know if I can help uh, with anything. And um, I hope that you know grammar in social media <laughs> is not the only thing that you remember um, out of this. I don't know why I got I got a little stuck on that, but it's fine. We're still learning as things change here. No, that's uh, great. That's great stuff. That, right? We need more of that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. That will do it for this episode of the Sports Report Pod and Class Dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Sports Report Podcast. Be sure to check out our Instagram at the Sports Report Pod for more content and to never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Score!